All righty. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12. And uh, we're just going to look at a few passages this morning. We're, going to, we're actually going a slightly different direction this morning. We've been going through this course on effectual Bible study. And uh, it's funny because I was already thinking, uh, I don't know, sometimes I like to insert breaks and stuff like that. But uh, I, I, I reorgan, reorganized some stuff in my office this week. I was shuffling stuff around. And then last night I went to look over my notes. And I could not find my Sunday school material for the life of me. Um, I thought it must be on my desk here. It wasn't there either. It's actually here in the pulpit. I found it. But uh, we're going a different direction for the morning. And I think uh, really a, a very, very, very practical one. One that's among practical topics, one of the most important things in the life of a church to discuss periodically. So I'm actually glad to have a refresher course on this. We have touched on it before. But what we're going to talk about is uh, spiritual gifts. Um, what those are, uh, how to find them, uh, things like that. Of course, if you think of, uh, I, I dare say, if we could, uh, if we took time to just list the different ministries of the Holy Spirit, I think most of us could list a whole bunch. Um, just in relation to drawing men to salvation, He illuminates them. He gives conviction. He, how do you, I mean? You, you've seen this if you've been involved in the souls of men at all, where somebody can, they, somebody can have all the facts in their head. They can know Bible verses. And you can explain what you think the gospel to them is as logically and persuasively as possible. And their reaction is, huh, huh that's just really something. But then maybe later on, there's this inexplicable arresting power that grabs hold of them and takes that same truth and just thrusts it through the soul. Same thing happened to me. I could quote you Bible verses. I grew up in church. But all of a sudden, it, it came to life in my soul. And the Holy Spirit does that. He does that in the life of our children. I thank God for it. I'm thrilled to watch uh, the parents that are here uh, waiting on the Lord to perform that miracle. And it's not something, you know, we want to make it happen, but we can't. We can't force it. Um, and then, of course, somebody comes to Christ. And uh, the Holy, I mean, think, well, what are some of the words? What does the Holy Spirit do at salvation? Give me some of the words. There's several what, some of the ministries that the Holy Spirit does at, at the moment we're saved, what are some of the New Testament words for some of His ministries? That he, is the moment somebody comes to Christ. Salvation. Yeah, salvation, yes. But breaking that down more, salvation's instantaneous. Somebody comes to Christ, their sins are taken away. But uh, regeneration, that's one word used. Uh, regeneration is... Basically, you being reborn, remade, recreated in, in essence. Um, he indwells immediately. He takes up residence, permanent residence in the believer. Now, you know, we don't feel this happening. It's not like somebody says, I felt the Spirit come in. I've mentioned to some of you before. If, uh, now, somebody testimonies of salvation vary. Uh, when you are examining people for church membership, you realize... Uh, it, uh, experiences can vary tremendously. There's certain things that have to be there. 
but somebody might say in a testimony meeting, for instance, I, you know, I, I, the gospel became so clear, I fell down on my face, I cried, this wave of peace overwhelmed me. I just, I had this assurance, this joy came over me. It was, I can't explain it. Now, are they wrong? No, that may have been their experience. Now here's somebody else sitting over here. They didn't have that experience at salvation. They trusted Christ, they didn't feel anything. Are they less saved? No. So sometimes I'll see that and I'm thinking, I hope these other people aren't thinking, well, I didn't have that, I must be lost. Experiences vary. But the Holy Spirit, He indwells us, takes up permanent residence. Again, being filled with the Spirit is Him having more of you. It's not you having more of Him. Uh, he seals us, permanently sealed. Um, that, that earnest of the inheritance like the down payment. Um, uh, we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. I mean, all the, we could go on and on and on with this. All those happen at the moment of salvation. Then you get into the life of the Christian, and uh, one of the things he does, again, this is scripturally giving of spiritual gifts. I mean, when you come to Christ, you are given a spiritual gift. Now, you may not know what that is for some time, uh, but he does that. I just want to begin by stating this. It's God's desire that every Christian is aware of what their gift is and does their part to exercise that within the local church and then uh, out from there as needed. I don't think anybody can have uh, truly, and I want to be careful saying this, it's not man-centered. I mean, we, we don't exist to fulfill people. We exist for the glory of God. But a side benefit, though, of exercising spiritual giftedness is I don't think we can really reach fulfillment in any local church setting if we're not consistently finding a way to pour into other lives. Lives in the community. Lives in the church. Okay, we were made to do that. We were made to pour into others in different capacities. So I tell you, I hope today's very, very practical. Uh, again, I'll point out, again, we've co we covered this, uh, I don't remember when, it was sometime in the last couple of years, but I'll just remind us. In the New Testament, there's four different lists of spiritual gifts given. Um, easy way to remember that is uh, it's chapter 12 of the first two epistles, Romans, 1 Corinthians, it's chapter 12 of both of those. In fact, chapter 12 has two different lists in there, so two of them occur in that one chapter. And then Ephesians 4, uh, which is basically laying out what happens in a local church. I mean, in fact, when we preached on that, I titled it, Why Bother Showing Up to Church Meetings? Because that's really what's going on in that chapter. That's the other one where there's certain spiritual gifts mentioned. So you have those four lists. But here in 1 Corinthians, uh, the source of spiritual gifts, where they come from, should be evident just by the word spiritual. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. So that word, when we use the word spiritual in the New Testament, is usually the Greek word pneumatikos, derived by the Holy Spirit. It's a product 
of the Holy Spirit's involvement. The fruit of the Spirit, why are they called that? The fruit of the Spirit's called that because they are evidence of the Spirit's control in a life. Okay, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit is not something you either do or don't have. It does admit to degrees, but they are the manifestation that the Holy Spirit has control of us. Okay, that's what those things show. They're the outward evidences. But 1 Corinthians 12, 11, that verse we just read, all these, speaking of spiritual gifts, worketh that one and self-same Spirit. So all true spiritual gifts uh, come from the Holy Spirit. And then notice the distribution of these gifts. Um, first of all, every Christian has at least one. Now it is a debate. Do some people have more than one of those that are listed? And we'll get to the list in a little bit. But I, don't, I, I really can't answer that definitively. I think if that's the case, there's going to be one that comes to the forefront. There's going to be one that's sort of their uh, specialty. And uh, I, I really, I think part of that is God doesn't need religious superstars. He does not. He's not, I really think part of the fruit of apostasy around us is there, there's some people that get into position and they think they have every gift. They're, they're, they are, man, they're it. They're all of it. Put me on the spotlight and buy my books and I will fix everything that's wrong. In fact, uh, there are people that think that America is going to go to online church services and we're going to have three or four mega pastors and every Christian in the country is going to be under one of those one, two or three guys listening to an online campus. I know, I want to scream when I hear that too. But again, part of the problem, God doesn't need superstars. God is interested in the local assembly. And every local assembly has its own flavor or personality. And, and that has nothing to do with error, by the way. That's a different issue. But if you visited even multiple really good churches, I remember in Alaska we had, uh, for a while, we had several solid churches that were all within 15 or 20 minutes of each other. And we would get together. And every one of them had their own personality. It was really something. One was more of a farmer cowboy assembly. Nothing wrong with that. That was just, the, that was just their personality. And uh, it was just, it was, it was, it was very, very interesting uh, to behold that. Okay, so every Christian, though, has at least one. First uh, Peter 4.10, we won't turn there. But as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So it says every Christian has a gift, and God expects you and I to exercise that to one another being good stewards. In other words, a spiritual gift is a stewardship that God has loaned you to use, okay, to build up His people. And then uh, back in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, dividing to every man severally as he will. So in other words, every man has one, or every woman, every saved person. Again, you and I, you've, you've heard this statement before, but it bears repeating. I, I, sometimes these things become cliches, and it's almost annoying because... They're so true that we forget them. We were saved to serve, not stagnate. That's a universal truth. A saved person was saved to serve. Um, there are areas of need that will be in this church that people have been placed here to fill and nobody else will do it the same way. That's why the illustration of the body is so critical. That's why it's used. It's... All these different parts working in harmony, and all of them are important, and really all of them, you think about it, how many parts of your body function well entirely on their own? None. 
I mean, you take an Albert Einstein brain, right? And, and cut off that head and lay it on the ground and see how much it gets done. Well, it ain't getting anything done, okay? Uh, Albert Einstein's brain needs Albert Einstein's toes to walk around, right? He needs Albert Einstein's voice box to be able to talk. Okay, so uh, he, needs, he needs his parts. Now, on what basis are gifts distributed? Notice it says, severally, or to everybody, as he will. That's the basis. Why do certain people have certain gifts? Because God said. And we're not given any more information than that. It's kind of like God's election to salvation. Uh, we are told dogmatically God chooses people. It doesn't conflict with human free will and responsibility. But the Bible never gives the content of God's foreknowledge. It never says, here's why God picked you. He picked you for himself. That's why. But it never gives a reason in you, ever. It never does that. God chose to save you. And whatever gift you may have, God chose to give it to you. And whatever gift you may not have, he chose not to give that to you because uh, he knows best. Okay, so it's based solely on sovereign choice. It's not merit. It's not performance. It's not anything you and I do. It's simply he chooses. All right, now, what's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Let me throw that out. What, what, what's the, what is the purpose of spiritual gifts? Second Corinthians, I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. That's, that's a good, yep. Uh, let me read that. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Or cross-reference Ephesians 4.12. Here's what Ephesians 4.12 says. Now, the context in Ephesians 4.12 is just, it's talking about the speaking gifts primarily. But this is applicable to all spiritual gifts. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Spiritual gifts were never given for show. They're not given to make money. They're not given to write books. I'm not saying book writing's bad, but I'm saying that's not why they were given. Spiritual gifts were not given to have everybody notice us. None of all that's carnal. None of that matters. Um, in fact, in Corinth, what, part of what was going on in chapters 12 through 14, it's a very misunderstood passage. You notice our uh, favorite billboards over here on the other side of town again? Church, biblicalchurchmeeting.org. Man, that guy's confused. I, but it, it's basically the whole argument is a misunderstanding of 1 Corinthians 14, as though that's the ideal church meeting. And Paul was trying to temper down the chaos in that chapter where everybody was in charge. And supposedly that's the spiritual meeting is to have everybody in charge and everybody, uh, that's, a, that's a recipe for apostasy and confusion is what that is. But anyways, uh, Corinth was a gifted assembly. I mean, they had some of those early sign gifts. They, they had genuine tongue speaking interpretation. They had New Testament prophets still in operation. They, they were a gifted group. They really were. They were a monetarily gifted group but they totally were missing the purpose of these gifts. Um, there, even the Lord's Supper became a look at me moment. And Paul's going, this, you guys are missing the central point of all this stuff. You're missing the point of communion. You're missing the point of gifts. You're missing the point of tongues. You're missing the point of preaching. 
And so he's systematically correcting these. But spiritual gifts were given to build up the saints. Yes, to glorify God, but they were given to contribute to this large ongoing construction project, which is what a church is. It's a construction project. It's, I've joked before and said it's not, what's the difference between a wax museum and a construction project? A wax museum looks pretty, everything's perfectly in order, but they're all dead because they're made out of wax. A construction project is dusty and noisy, things go wrong, but stuff's getting built, right, over time. I think all of us have walked by and organized an efficient job site, and you've got these forklifts and tower cranes and welders and rebar tires and engineers. Everybody's thrilled when they show up on site, right? And, <laughs> no, I have some good friends who are engineers. I, laborers, truck drivers, and all of them are needed to do their part in the building. And really, that's what edifying is, building. That's what the word means, building up. It's a construction term. Okay, so we're not building brick and mortar, we're building lives. Okay, so for a church to most effectively build lives for the glory of God, all the parts are needed. All of them. Now, okay, what is a spiritual gift, though? Okay, this is an important distinction. It, it is an ability, but it's not merely a natural ability. It's not, you know, somebody says, well, it's just something I was born with. Well, Sometimes spiritual gifts will be an enhancement of a talent you already had, but something you were born with isn't, isn't a spiritual gift. Um, just like you were born with certain natural abilities, um, and it really is amazing how God even does that. Some people, are, some people are able to sing tremendously. Other people can't hear. They can't carry a tune in a bucket. Uh, some people are super skilled with their hands. Some aren't. Um, you know, on and on we go with that. But So we're born with certain abilities, and then when you come to Christ, you are born again with certain abilities that, that He puts in there. And now these may overlap, but not necessarily. In fact, a spiritual gift may be something you were completely unaware of until after you were saved, and beyond that, after you were walking in obedience and actually looking for ways to serve. And you may not be aware of even what it is until that point. Um, I remember when I was, uh, and again, I want to, my, my experience doesn't really, it's not conclusive. I'm just sharing it for the sake of illustration. I, I never liked public speaking. I did it when I had to, to not flunk a class, but boy, did I not like it. In fact, I learned in college, one of our classes was speech, and I learned if you volunteer at the very beginning, there's a little ounce of boldness knowing you control the timing. Because what our teacher did, it was totally like a draw on who went. And this went over three or four class periods. In fact, in our class, what you did is uh, everybody had a sheet. And while you're giving your speech, they're going through all these categories and judging you based on all these different categories. And then you had to go to the library and watch your speech and, and grade yourself. I know, I was like, this is torture. And so I never, I never, never liked that. In fact, I, I had zero inclination. I thought, you be a preacher, you got to be kidding me. But boy, I came to Christ, and, and very, very early, there was a strange desire uh, to go do that. Now, it was good I didn't do it early on. I was still a novice, but it, it, was, it was, I can remember just early on thinking that this is what, I've got to do this. I don't, 
And it was an enigma to me because I never wanted to before. And so these things may dawn on us in different ways, okay? But it's, again, it can be something you were unaware of until you were saved and, and truly actually walking with God as a Christian. But what it is, it's a supernatural ability. That's important. Supernatural ability. God-given gift to fulfill a certain function within the body of Christ. Now, let me make this distinction. It is not, a spiritual gift is not an office in the church. Uh, let me explain what I mean. I, let's say somebody's a pastor. Does that require a spiritual gift? Yes, it does. But the office itself is not the gift. Somebody will be in that position because of the manifestation of certain gifts. Here's my point. I, I think a lot of Christians in churches I've been in over the years sometimes get the idea they're, they're waiting for the pastor or whoever else to put a certain program on the calendar that they can plug into, and until then they can't exercise their gift. And that's absolutely not the case. In fact, as we walk through these, most of the spiritual gifts, they're not an event on the calendar. They're not a program. Okay, let's say on a, on a Sunday when, when most people are here, what, 60 people maybe? How many of you think we should put 60 programs in the calendar? Doesn't that sound nice? Not really. That'd be two a day all month. Uh, again, are programs bad? Not necessarily, but a programs for the sake of program. I've learned to not really like that word because it come, becomes so formulaic. Um, I hope you understand what I mean by that. So, uh, a spiritual gift is not a position in the church, nor is it a certain item on the calendar necessarily. It can be, but it's not limited to that. In other words, most of these can be exercised free from certain times and seasons and, and events. Okay, they're, they're sort of ongoing things. Um, and it's not something that has to take place within a certain four walls. Okay, so we say, well, these, these are manifested within the local assembly. What's, what is our local church? It's not this building. What I'm saying is this kind of spirit-led ministry, exercising giftedness, it doesn't have to happen between 11 and 12.15 on Sunday. How many days of the week can you encourage somebody? Do you have to put that on your calendar? Maybe. I mean, maybe that's helpful. But you see what I'm saying? It's not, it's not just in this building. Yes, it's, it's, it begins in this body, meaning this local assembly, but this local assembly is this local assembly on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday also, not just Sunday. Okay, it goes beyond that. <clears throat> so the primary place of service is a local church, but it definitely should go outside the walls of a building. All right, now let me just give a quick note, and I'm not going to give, we, we've discussed this previously, this, this is a sermon of its, in and of itself, so I'm not going to go into depth, but some of the gifts, apostle in the truest sense, there, there are no apostles today, okay, they're gone, there's no apostolic succession. Uh, New Testament prophet, now we're going to talk about that word prophecy in 1 Corinthians 12 in a minute, but New Testament prophet in the sense of telling the future, that is not a gift in operation today. We have the completed scriptures. 
Okay, we don't have people come in our meetings and say, thus saith the Holy Spirit, tomorrow at noon there will be a hailstorm with three-eighths inch hail. Uh, goodbye, whoever that guy is. Okay, yes? Sorry to interrupt, but in Deuteronomy, doesn't it call upon us to stone the prophets that are wrong? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that, that was a law principle, but here's the amazing thing. You look at the two tests. That one's often remembered that when a, when a prophet gave a sign and it didn't come to pass. So prophets had to give not just way down the line. They had to actually give predictions that would come to pass in a reasonable amount of time so people could test them. And they did both. But another test of a prophet in the Old Testament, remember what it was? If he gives a sign or a wonder and it does come to pass... But what he's saying doesn't line up with what God has said. You stone him also. That's another principle. So uh, even, if, even if the sign or wonder happened, that guy's still trying to lead us away from the commands of God. So uh, he's gone. Now, obviously, as a church, we're not going to stone people. But yes, that, that principle carries over. Um, it's a serious thing to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord. And if the, if the next words out of your mouth aren't biblical... Uh, you should you should stop talking, um, because uh, this is this is what God has said in His written word. Um, tongues and interpretations, healings. Okay, the healing things that they did; those were sign gifts relating to that first century, authenticating the message while the scriptures were being completed. Okay, they're not those things. And again, this is a long discussion, but they passed out of existence. Um, that's why by the time you get to Ephesians, you don't see the fruit of the Spirit. You don't see tongues being mentioned at all. Um, that's why in Romans 12, those sign gifts are not mentioned in the list of spiritual gifts. Okay, there's a reason for that. Um, but all the gifts fall into two categories, two broad categories. Here's what they are. Verbal gifts, service gifts. Okay, there's two kinds. There's those that are primarily speaking, and then there's those that are primarily doing, okay? And they all fall into one of those two categories. So let me just say this. Here somebody says, well, I'm, I am, I'd rather die than speak in front of people. Uh, in a, sometimes that, that skill needs to be developed, but don't think for a second that you're not gifted somewhere and needed in the Lord's work. It's not true. It is absolutely not true. Um, and which gifts are more important? I would say none of them are. They're all important. There's some that are more visible, yes. But they are, they are all important. All right, what are they? Um, flip, to, flip to Romans 12, and I'm going to explain why we're going there. Okay, remember, this, in fact, this is the first list chronologically going through the New Testament. Um, Romans 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 contains several things that were limited in scope. Remember the two lists there? It contains many of the sign gifts. Still part of Scripture. Uh, Ephesians, the Ephesians 4 passage, 4, debatably 5 are mentioned. I think pastor teacher there is talking about the same office, different sides of it. But apostle, prophet, a New Testament prophet and apostle, okay, those are no longer in effect. But then you have pastor teacher and evangelist. 
So Ephesians 4 is just mentioning the verbal gifts. Uh, personally, I think Romans 12 uh, is, is the most comprehensive list on the subject, okay, because the sign gifts, the temporary sign gifts are not included. And uh, what it does is give us basically categories of gifts. And why I mean, what I mean categories is it gives us different types of spiritual giftedness that can apply to a whole lot of different circumstances. And, and really, they're, 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 the way they're phrased, um, I, I think that's an accurate way to look at it. And uh, we'll talk about some of that. Okay, so Romans 12, notice verse 3 through 8. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. So, first thing he says before giving this list, in fact, after verses 1 and 2, which we'll talk about in a minute, but he says, he reminds us to think soberly. Don't think too highly of yourself. And also included in soberly is don't think too lowly. In other words, a mentality that says, I always want to gravitate towards the most visible, prominent position. Paul's saying, don't have that mentality. If I see a young man who, even if I think he's called to preach and he's constantly grabbing for a prominent position, I would say, <laughs> back off. And let God exalt you in due time, because He will. I think of uh, Harry Ironside, a statement I've never forgotten. He said, only men who are faithful in obscurity will shine well in the blaze of publicity. In other words, he's saying, plod along in the dark if God makes you do that, and many times He will make, you make a man do that for a long time. Don't seek prominence. If God wants you to have it, He'll give it to you. You don't need to go looking for it. So don't think of yourself more highly, but also don't think of yourself more lowly. Let me give you an example. Oh, I don't have any gifts. Baloney. That, that's, not, that's not humility. That's unbelief. It's unbelief. God says differently. Oh, I just can't do anything. It's not true either. Uh, sometimes thinking lowly of ourselves is fake humility. And, and really what it amounts to is I won't do what God says. So Paul's saying, think of yourself soberly. Put it in scriptural context. Get feedback. Okay, don't chase after things you're not gifted in necessarily, but don't back away from things just, oh, well, somebody else can do it better. Maybe. Are there, are there people in the world that preach better than me? Sure there are. But God didn't call me to preach there. <laughs> he put me here. Um, and the same is true with all of us. So remember the primary thing, by the way, is faithfulness. Remember the parable of the, the talents. You hear one guy's given, you know, you've got one guy's given a lot, one guy's given less, and the one guy's given not very much. And, and what, are they, what are they commended and uh, condemned for? Their stewardship. The guy that only had one wasn't condemned because he only had one. He was condemned because of what he did with it. He went and hit it. He buried it. He went, oh, I don't have much, so I'm not going to use it. And the Lord says, no. You use what you have. Okay? So Paul says, think of yourself soberly. Uh, verse 4 and 5, we have many members in one body. And again, he's talking of the local church. He's not talking about some mystical, worldwide thing. Uh, I believe very strongly in the, the concept of the local church, and I can prove that biblically. But when he's talking about 
the body of Christ, typically it's referred to in a local church sense. In other words, the head isn't in Rome. Amen? And you got a hand in Phoenix and a foot in Maine. I'm pointing the wrong way. Right? Anyway, each local church is its own microcosm of the body. We need feet here. We need hands here. We need mouths here. We need kidneys here. You know what I mean? And he says, we have many members in one body. All members have not the same office. We're not created the same. That's really good. It would be creepy if we were all the same, wouldn't it? It would be really weird. Um, some church groups try to do that. They, they, they try to think it's spiritual to, you know, that you have these uniforms and we all dress exactly alike and we all do the exact same trade and we live in a commune. I'm not trying to be unkind, but that's not scriptural. God gave us individuality on purpose. Okay? And there is room for preference. Anyways, moving on from that. But uh, uh, So we, verse 5, being many are one body in Christ and every one members one of another. So we are all attached to each other in a sense. Spiritually speaking, we're all part of the same body. One hurts, we all hurt. One's gone, we're all hurting. You know, none of us function well with an amputation. Uh, you learn to live with it, but it's never quite the same, right? So there's this interconnectivity. And then verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us. Um, how are gifts given? According to grace. <laughs> because God gave. There's no merit. There's no asking for it. You don't pray, oh God, give me this other gift. You, you already got your gift at salvation. It's not generational. What do I mean by that? And some people think, well, so-and-so is a mighty preacher. His son has to be a pastor. Says who? I, now, sometimes that happens. I, by the way, I really appreciate the church family here. Uh, never, I've never heard anyone do that to my sons, and I appreciate it. That never, because I've seen it. Where are you going to be? You got to be a preacher, just like Daddy. That's what God wants you to do, because you're. I'd say, hey, wait a minute. I tell my sons, you know what I want you to do? I'll ask them all the time. What's the most important thing to me? That we walk with God. What if God wants you to be a truck driver? I should be a truck driver. What if God wants you to be a baker? I'd be good, because I'd get a lot of donuts. I, maybe it wouldn't be good. What, what if God wants you to go to Africa? Go. What if God doesn't want you to be a pastor and you become one? Uh-oh. Right? So... It's not generational. I mean, God can do that, but it's not necessarily that way. God, in fact, nobody is a preacher because their dad was. They shouldn't be. If they're called to preach, it's because God chose them, period. That's it. Could be in the same family. Don't have to be. Um, let me say this, too. Every one of the things on this list, and I'll explain this, every one of these should be exercised to some extent by every Christian. Okay? Every one of these should be exercised to some extent by every Christian. I'm going to say more on that in a minute, especially about speaking gifts. But some are going to be gifted for it. For instance, we're going to talk about mercy in a minute. How many of us are supposed to be merciful? Well, all of us. But there's some that are supernaturally gifted for it. The rest of us have to work at it a little more, I guess. 
And uh, you know, we all have our we all have our blind spots. All of us, we all do. Um, all right, so here's the list. Brief summary. We'll go through. Try to go through it quickly. Prophecy. Again, in this context, it's not foretelling; it's forthtelling. It's, in other words, um, it's not telling the future. It's just it's speaking the word of God. Now, how many ways can that be done? Do you know every time you share a, a passage of scripture with somebody? I mean, you're at, you're at the grocery store or you're at the checkout line, and you share a verse with somebody. That is biblically prophesying. That is speaking forth the word of God. It's, okay, it's not standing up here and, or in front of a thousand people. Okay, it can be done in an in a individual context like that. Okay, that's part of what that is. So this is what I mean when I say to some degree we all, do, we all should do these. Sharing a testimony of God's goodness. Sharing answered prayer. Uh, part of the reason we do, I try to encourage testimony meetings at times. Answered prayer. Passage of Scripture. That's a means of each of us prophesying to encourage each other, reminding each other what God has done and what God has said. Okay, that's part of that. Uh, and that we're not going to go to the passages, but in the Old Testament, music. Uh, sometimes the music of the Old Testament is referred to as prophesying because it's just speaking truth about God. So a choir singing biblically rich and ac accurate words is a form of prophesying. Uh, Singing hymns. One of the things we're doing, yes, we're singing to God, but one of the things we're doing is speaking to one another. And uh, speaking among yourselves, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, we're, we're prophesying to each other. Okay, so that's the general use of that. Okay, but the spiritual gift of prophecy is to be able to take the words of Scripture and be able to accurately and publicly communicate them in a manner that calls people to decision. So there's an authoritative ring to it. Um, by the way, that's not merely an entertaining speaker. Uh, sometimes I think that's happened, sadly, in the past, where somebody's, before they come to Christ, they're a prominent business speaker. Maybe they do these seminars and TED Talks, and they're very good with words. And they come to Christ, and everybody assumes that must mean they're called to preach. Uh, no, it does not. Being an entertaining speaker, or an effective speaker, and being a preacher aren't the same. Okay? That can help this one, but it doesn't prove that this exists. Okay? It's a supernatural ability to speak forth the words of Scripture okay, in a certain way. Um, you know, to be a sword in the hand of God that reproves, rebukes, and exhorts, and at times brings heavy conviction of sin. Okay, so that obviously is a verbal gift. Uh, ministering. That's actually the word deaconing. Okay, this obviously is a service gift. Now, how many of us are to be servants? Well, all of us. Um... But this is a person who has a supernatural gift, maybe you could say a spiritual talent, for noticing what needs to be done and doing it. And I don't think, this is not just talking about the office of a deacon, that is an office in the assembly. But somebody can, can exercise the spiritual gift of ministry without being a deacon. Um, I think of Phoebe. Uh, Paul mentions her as a servant of the church at Centria. In fact, it's actually the female word for deacon. I don't think that was an office. That's a long discussion. But Paul was saying this, this lady has the obvious gift of serving. 
and she exercises it in that local assembly at Centria, and that's how he identified her. Um, so somebody who really, when they're walking with God, can't stand to not help people. Now, I mentioned these are categories. How many applications are there for that serving? How many ways to serve are there? I, you can't, again, is it an event on a calendar? Could be. It doesn't have to be. I mean, there's this, depending on ministry context and life situation, this can be carried out a thousand different ways. Okay, so this one finds joy in helping. They're just gifted. They're good at it. And Paul says, let us wait on our ministering. In other words, recognize this as vital and, and look for ways to exercise it. Okay, then you have teaching. In fact, I threw this at my son this morning. Sometimes we'll have these discussions. Right? What's the difference between preaching and teaching? They definitely overlap. I don't know that I can perfectly answer that. I was chewing on that. I would say preaching has more of an authoritative ring to it. It's more aimed at decision. Uh, teaching is a dissemination of information, valuable information in this context. Um, but somebody who's an excellent... A preacher has to be a teacher to some degree, but a teacher doesn't have to be a preacher. I guess let me put it that way. Yes? Women are not to be in, in, in the pulpit, which mm -hmm. I totally agree with. Mm -hmm. But aren't there a lot of women that are gifted in teaching? There is no question whatsoever that there are... It just has to stay within, within biblical bounds. Paul says, I don't want a woman to teach her to usurp authority over the man. So we would say in a mixed gathering with men present, ladies don't teach in that context. But how many ways are there for ladies to teach that are not teaching adult men? Sunday school, ladies seminars, right? I mean... I know I've gotten my wife several, you've gotten my wife some books too, that written by ladies that are fantastic, fantastic teaching. But these need to be exercised within their biblical framework. Um, so absolutely ladies can be gifted to teach, there's no question about that. Um, now all of us should strive to be able to communicate the Bible, but some are more gifted in this area. And again, not necessarily with large crowds. Teaching doesn't mean huge multitudes necessarily. It could be smaller groups. It could be discipleship classes. Just, it could be one-on-one. -on -one. Just the ability to communicate the scriptures and to explain the information. Okay, to break it down to make it, to make it understood. Okay, then you have exhortation. Uh, this is encouragement in the things of God. It's rousing people to action and sometimes just being there as an example. Um... I mean, who do you, who in the New Testament do you think of when you think of encouragement? Barnabas. Barnabas. You ever heard of Joseph? You have, you just don't remember. Acts 4, just before Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, here comes this man, he had land in Cyprus. Uh, that's, I mean, now you talk about resort property. And he sells it, and he comes and lays it down at the apostles' feet. This man's name was Joseph, whom the apostles surnamed Barnabas. So the apostles called him son of, in consolation, or son of encouragement. That, that's what Barnabas means. His name's Joseph. But this guy was so encouraging, the apostles went, you know what, we're going to call you the son of encouragement from now on. Meaning, you are the embodiment of encouragement. That's what his name meant. So... 
He's, you know, probably a shining example of that. But he had this ability to pick people up and challenge them to go forward. I think, by the way, different giftedness is why Paul and Barnabas butt heads over John Mark. Paul was more black and white. He failed. We're moving on. He, he can't, he, he's, he's not going with us next time. And Barnabas was the encourager going, yeah, but can't we give him another chance? And they both had a legitimate point. But they were different personality, different gift, different strong points. And that, I think that's part of why they, they struggled with that. Um, so to convince people maybe to change course for the Lord's sake, but just to come alongside. Uh, I remember Spurgeon talked about uh, men like this in his church that he said they were always good at picking up the wounded birds after they got shot down in the sermon. He had, <laughs> As a hunter, I thought that was a great analogy because he felt like he's just firing away. Boom, 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 and people are crumpling. And then these men had come alongside and, hey, brother, let's go forward together. And uh, that was needed. Uh, and then you have giving. I'll try to go quickly through this. Uh, 10% just isn't enough, they would say. And, and by the way, that's another long discussion. What percentage does God want you to give precisely? As you purpose in your heart, as you walk with God. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's the curse. If you don't, that's another discussion. I believe in grace giving, not law giving. Um, is giving important? Yes. But it's more than just being God. God wants us to be faithful givers. God's work has always been supported by God's people. He's always done that. In every dispensation, He's done that. And in fact, uh, remember the Israelites. I mean, how was the, how was the tabernacle paid for? God, you know, God could have just given them the stuff. He gave it to the people and then had them give it to build the tabernacle. Okay, it's the same with the local church. God gives to the people and then expects them to give to support His work. He wants us to take part of it. But uh, much of the Lord's work historically has been held behind the scenes by people with the gift of giving. I mean, Hudson Taylor's ministry, hugely supported by godly businessmen that you really never hear about. Moody Bible Institute during the Depression, same thing. R.G. Letourneau, what a story. He had the gift of giving. Uh, nearly every powerful ministry that's existed has had people with the gift of giving behind them. And believe it or not, I think, you think of George Mueller and his prayer and his faith, I think George Mueller had the gift of giving. Uh, reading through his biography, his autobiography, for instance, here's, here's a time he's moved, he wants, to, he wants to give $500 to Hudson Taylor. He doesn't have it. So he's praying for quite some time for God to give him $500 to give to Hudson Taylor. God gives it to him, he mails it. So, does someone have to be rich to have the gift of giving? Not necessarily. Many of them have had means, but not necessarily. Uh, many times they're blessed with means, but that, of course, necessitates discernment. He, Paul says, give with simplicity, with sincerity. In other words, no ulterior motive. I'm not giving this money to get something back. I'm not giving this money to influence the preacher what to preach or to bend things my direction. I'm not giving this so that everybody sees what I'm giving. Paul's saying, throw all that out. Uh, give for the Lord's sake. Okay, then you have ruling. Uh, these are gifted organizers. To some degree, a pastor should be, but especially in a larger ministry context, there's going to be organizers that aren't pastors. You know, kind of like, uh, remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Um, now, that wasn't a church, but you know, remember everywhere Joseph went, he ended up ruling? Uh, that was true in Potiphar's house. It was true in jail. Remember he was over the other prisoners? 
And then it was true in Egypt, he was able to put together these big projects to spare the nation from hunger, and Pharaoh just said, hey, let him organize it. This is his thing. And so there's people that are gifted at uh, breaking down larger goals in manageable increments, uh, in enthusiasm, giving accountability, making sure things get done, recognizing what other people are good at and where they can help. Not just saying, wow, it would be nice to do that, but actually stepping towards the goal and bringing others along. Paul says do that with diligence or eagerness. And then lastly, mercy, but definitely not lastly in importance. Somebody's gifted to notice the downcast and uh, go after them. And oftentimes, I think historically, this is a person who suffered a great deal. That is a way of, uh, of enhancing mercy. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1, we, we comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves are comforted of God. I think historically, those that have been gifted with this have often been people who suffered a lot. Um, but sometimes public teaching is not enough. I mean, sometimes it's the arm around, sitting down with, let's go to coffee, let's, let's talk about stuff, right? Crying with them. That, it, oh, that's huge. I mentioned it before, I, my, my mother, my mother, I'm sure, has that gift. I, it's, uh, mom can go into Walmart. There's 300 people in the store. She'll find the one hurting person and she'll be on a bench with them when you leave the store. It really is something. She's been like that as long as I can remember. It's, uh, she just gravitates towards people like that. It's a neat thing. And I've seen other people like that. Um, all right, let me just say this. I, I, oh, I was trying to get done on time, but I think this is profitable stuff, and I'll go through this last part quickly. Every spiritual gift has an attending danger with it. Every spiritual gift has a weak spot. And this is one of the reasons why that all the parts of the body are necessary. Let me just illustrate, and this isn't exhaustive. Um... Let's say here's somebody who's a gifted preacher, teacher. What might, be their, what might be the danger with that? The pride would be one of them. But how about this one? How about being so black and white because applications come quickly to them that they can be very much, this is the right way. What's hard about it? This isn't rocket science. Get up and do it, right? Not a lot of compassion. That, okay, that can happen. Um, and by the way, to some degree, those personalities are needed in a preaching setting. You have to have some spine. And, and if you look through the scriptures, God's prophets and preachers, apostles were generally of that personality. Peter was definitely like that. Paul was definitely like that. But yet there's a danger with it. And this is where the other parts are so important. Um, how about ministering? Somebody who is always noticing needs. What, what could be a danger with that? Think Martha, right? Overcommitting, trying to do so much that none of it's done well, and equating constant activity and serving with godliness, okay? Um, how about exhortation being an encourager? I'll tell you this, I've watched this happen. Somebody who's very good at being an exhorter and encourager, that's a precious gift, but sometimes they struggle when a disciplinary situation happens or lines need to be drawn to say, look, this has got to be dealt with now. They typically are going to struggle with that because they constantly want to keep building up and building up. And that's a good thing. You see what I mean, though? All these parts need each other. Um, giving. I mean, a danger with that, it's a wonderful gift, but one danger is not being discerning with where the money's going, just giving it to everybody. 
Everybody on TBN and every ministry out there. And God wants us to be discerning with what we give. Ruling, okay, that gift. Okay, the danger could be being a slave driver. Losing the ministry to people amidst the things that have to get done. Prioritizing goals over souls. Uh, the gift of mercy could be wrongfully overlooking faults. Helping people make excuses for sinful behavior. I mean, it, it's one of the biggest things in biblical counseling. Mercy is important. But you also have to be able to draw a line and say, listen, what you're doing is sin. Here's what God says. You need to adjust. Now let's adjust. Because the sinful heart is very good at asking for mercy continually to, to cover up sinful behavior. Okay, so anyway, the, the, the gifts are wonderful, but they all have blind spots with them. And that's why we need each other. All right, now let me just say this, the discovery of gifts. How do I know what my gift is? Again, I've said every, every Christian person has one. God wants you to know what it is and exercise it. It's not as simple as just taking some kind of test. Number one is know what the gifts are. Know what they are. Uh, spend some time in Romans 12 on that list. Look up the words. Think about them. Pray about them. Ask the Lord about them. So know what they are. Um, somebody may not even be aware that serving or showing mercy are, are supernatural abilities, but very, very important ones. Uh, secondly, make sure you're willing to do anything for the Lord. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Make sure that you are submitted and resigned and that you are going to do His will, period. Make sure when you're asking God what your gift is that you're willing to do it when He tells you. Okay, it's not, Lord, show me my gift so I can think about it. No. Um, and again, in every known area, we've got to be resigned. God is God, I'm not. And then thirdly, be active with what you do know. Look for ways to serve. It may be helpful to ask others. I, do, I mean, do you see any areas that I'm good at or uh, that, that may be a giftedness? Um, what do you gravitate towards when you're walking with God? What bothers you when it doesn't get done? What do you immediately notice in a church setting? I've actually watched people do this. They, they, not here, but they, they, they go visit a particular church. In fact, I remember having this conversation with someone years ago when visited a church. And they said, well, what'd you think? And they, one of the things they pointed out was this gaping hole of something that church was missing ministerially as far as just a, a service area. And I said, wow, maybe you're the one that's supposed to go fill that need since you see it. Right? And uh, so sometimes you're going to notice holes in a ministry because you're actually gifted to fill that hole. And rather than point out the hole, think about filling the hole. Because every ministry has holes. Believe me, I can't do it all, and I do not have all the gifts. Not even close. Um, so what brings, again, it's not all about us, but what brings you joy and fulfillment? As you serve God, what areas you just find yourself, yes, I'm, 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 I'm gifted, I'm, 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 I gravitate to that. And the exercise of spiritual gifts may lead to the discovery of other giftedness. Example is Philip. You know, Philip begins as a deacon. And by Acts 8, he's an evangelist. <laughs> he was just serving along, and pretty soon he's out preaching the gospel. All right, and gifts may absolutely be developed. They're like muscle. They become stronger and more potent with usage. And once again, we are way late. I'm sorry about that. Um, by the way, if anybody ever wants to have questions with that, and I aim to have some conversations about this in the upcoming few months, 
I want to help people with this. This is so huge. Uh, come talk to me if it would be a help. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, that you give us clarity on this. Help us to uh, press forward with what, what you teach us. And help us to all be growing as a vital part of this body, uh, building up others for your glorious namesake. In Jesus' name, amen.